certainly there are observable actions in perspectives, but they are driven by two important things. Intentions, what does this teacher want to accomplish? And beliefs about two things. Why is that important? And what is the role of a teacher in pursuing that intention? So this is what differentiates perspectives from style. So welcome to the Harvard Macy Institute podcast. I'm Victoria Brazel, and today we're going to be talking about teaching perspectives and in particular trends, changes, disruptions in teaching perspectives over time. And in order to do that, I'm joined by none other than Dan Pratt, who is the Professor Emeritus in the Faculty of Education and Senior Scholar in the Faculty of Medicine at the University of British Columbia in Canada and much-loved Harvard Macy Institute faculty member. How are you, Dan? Oh, I'm fine. Thank you. And he is joined by someone who uh, has helped him a lot in this work recently, and that is Amanda Dumoulin, who is a recent uh, Bachelor of Arts Psychology Honours graduate student from the Kwantlen Polytechnic University, which is also in UBC. How are you, Amanda? I'm good, thanks. Very pleased you can join us to tell us a little bit about the kind of data collection you've been doing and how that has informed uh, this work on the teaching perspectives. So let's get on to our topic here. Uh, We're thinking about how we teach and how that changes over time. And by way of introduction, in his book, The Five Perspectives on Teaching, Dan Pratt describes perspectives as something we look through rather than at as we go about the business of teaching. He eschews the idea of simplistic best practices and instead invites a plurality of the good, his words in the title of the book, in teaching, uh, recognising that our perspectives and thoughts about how they shape our teaching formats. So do these perspectives change over time and are the influences on them internal or external? And what's the effect of a massive disruption like the COVID-19 pandemic? So, uh, Dan, why don't you just kick us off, because many of our listeners will be familiar with your concepts around the teaching perspectives, uh, but some won't be. So give us a life's work in uh, four or five minutes. Well, um, first of all, I want to start with something I've never said before. Why did I label these perspectives rather than styles of teaching? They're not styles of teaching because you can observe a teacher and know his or her style pretty much. You cannot observe a teacher and know her perspective. Certainly there are observable actions in perspectives, but they are driven by two important things. Intentions, what does this teacher want to accomplish? And beliefs about two things. Why is that important? And what is the role of a teacher in pursuing that intention? So this is what differentiates perspectives from style. In the end, I came up with five perspectives on teaching. They came out of three things. First, a number of years working in five different countries. Secondly, from interviewing and observing 253 teachers of adults, and thirdly, the evaluation of my own teaching, which went sour 
and I'll tell you more about that if there's time. The first perspective on teaching, giving a quick summary of the five perspectives on teaching. The first is transmission, where the primary intention is to build a knowledge base for professional or vocational practice. Teachers that have transmission as their dominant perspective believe that good presentations equal good teaching. Of course, they believe more than that, but I'll give only one belief characteristic of each perspective. The second one is apprenticeship. The primary intention here is to develop professional or vocational competence and identity in the workplace. Teachers that have this as their dominant perspective believe they teach who they are as much as what they know. In other words, they believe if someone is watching, they are teaching. The third is called developmental. The primary intention here is to develop different forms of reasoning. Diagnostic reasoning for the health professions, fast and slow reasoning in psychology or economics, and teachers that have developmental as their dominant perspective believe that learners' prior knowledge and beliefs influence how they interpret what we say and what they take away. The fourth perspective is called nurturing. The primary intention here is to develop a trusting relationship with learners and to maintain a balance between challenging them and supporting them. They strongly believe that emotions have a significant impact on both cognition and resilience to stay the course in learning. The fifth and final perspective is called social reform. And the primary intention here is to develop competence to work within the system, but always with a critical eye questioning the norms of practice. They believe that as learners work within the system, they must also critique the system. In other words, learners should never take the norms of practice for granted. And lastly, because these are perspectives rather than styles, they are an illustration of the sociologist Kenneth Burke's notion, each way of seeing is also a way of not seeing. Thus, consciously or unconsciously, we are biased toward our own perspective on teaching. That refers obliquely to my evaluation of my teaching. Well, how interesting, Dan. And I think this uh, is really important. And you've used the word beliefs many times, and I think that's the key here, isn't it? These are ways of thinking about the world, and in particular ways of thinking about teaching and learning, not just the observable behaviours about what people do, which, of course, are influenced by many things. So uh, this is a bit confronting for people who are used to labelling stuff. Oh, I teach a flip flop 
flipped classroom or I teach using small group learning. You're saying people have beliefs about learning at their core. Uh, what influences that? Is that the product of their previous learning or the way their personality works? What, what influences these perspectives? I, I think there is a teacher within each of us that is a product of their upbringing and a product of the teachers she or he has had over time. And so the teacher within each of us wants to be a teacher that was good for them. And that's an internal uh, manifestation uh, uh, motivator. But there's also uh, uh, several external motivators or influencers. The first is, who are they with? Uh, what department are they in? What discipline are they in? What health professions are they in? What medical specialty are they in? And those are cultural influences that are external but they want to belong, and so they become one of them. Ah, that's, that's quite interesting. So let's say, uh, as we've discussed before, I've got a developmental perspective. So my unit here at the Gold Coast Emergency Department is more likely to have the influence uh, in that regard where we might take that approach to our teaching and learning. And my fellows and registrars are likely to adopt that sort of perspective, even though they might have other perspectives uh, influenced from others. I think the other thing you're saying is people don't have to have one. They might have a dominant perspective, but they might also have influences with others. Is that right? Oh, yes. Yes, you don't have just a, a one dominant perspective. You have backup perspective, perspectives. And those are allowing us to shift to uh, different audiences, different uh, uh, circumstances, different contexts. But we've done a lot of test-retest. And um, over time, the dominant perspective remains, but the backup perspectives shift slightly. And then there are recessive perspectives that people don't even see that as legitimate teaching perspective. Ah, very interesting. Well, I'm sure we're going to come back to that when we start to shift our focus now to the quantitative nature of this, because many times in medical education, you read and health professions education more broadly, you read about things as you've done and descriptions, but you've taken this next step and turned it into something quantifiable and come up with this teaching perspectives inventory. And for those listening, you can go online uh, to actually do this inventory and get a sense of what your perspective, your dominant perspectives might be. So uh, Dan, this is a little bit interesting, isn't it? Actually creating some numbers around this. How did that come about? Oh, Yes. Well, it came about because of someone else, not me. Uh, John Collins, uh, my partner in crime over 20 years. Uh, John helped me take this from interviews and observa observations to an instrument. And uh, we've been live on the web since 2001, so we have 20 years, and over 350,000 respondents. But John Collins deserves 90% of 
the credit for bringing this online. Thank you. That's really useful, I think, because this is a a relatively less common way of approaching uh, notions of teaching. So, Amanda, let me bring you in here. So we've got this teaching perspectives uh, inventory and understand people can go onto the website and they can actually fill out the data. So can you give me a little sense of the kind of data you collect? How many people fill this out? And then what do you do with that data? Yeah, so when you start the survey or the teaching perspectives inventory, you start with a few background questions such as name, email, teaching context, and that's things like who the learners are, what you're teaching, the format and size of the group. Then you answer the 45 items of the TPI using a five-point rating scale. And then the last page involves more background questions, such as your work role, your institution or organization, and your geographical location. And overall, it takes about 10 to 15 minutes to complete. And then so people get their data back to themselves. And I'm not sure if this is a question for you and or Dan. So then who does it? Obviously, anyone can go online and do it. But do you target specific groups or do groups come to you wanting to get this data? How do you actually identify the people to do it? Uh, it, It's free. And that has become a question over time. Um, But we remain committed to it being freely available to anyone. We have um, seven interpretations, uh, languages, online, and another five in process. So we have made this available widely across the world. Uh, Why? Because we think it's useful to people not just in North America, not just speaking English, but speaking other languages in other places for other purposes. Um, So what do we do with the data? Is that part of the question? Yeah, well, I I am interested because obviously as individuals it might be useful reflection on to why we like or don't like certain formats if we have some insight into our dominant perspectives. But I suppose it might also be useful for departments or uh, people just talking about teaching perspectives. Are there particular groups that use the TPI uh, uh, to inform either the approach they take or just to reflect with their faculty? Yes, it's used a lot in faculty development um, to give people a, a window into who is the teacher within you and uh, how can we build that teacher to be better rather than make you someone else. Um, there's a story about someone that uh, was teaching in public health And she joined that department, uh, and this was initially an epidemiology department, and uh, the, the norm was lecturing, and she did not want to do that. But she teamed up with someone the first year, and he took her aside and said, you have to lecture. That's the way we do it. And so she got horrible reviews uh, for the next two or three years. And then I met with her and worked with her, and we found a way for her to be herself. And and then (laughs) two years later, she won the teaching award for the Faculty of Medicine. So uh, I think faculty development is a wide user of this, but there are also... Um, let's say we have um, 
five universities, uh, medical schools on the East Coast of the U.S. that are using this to ask the question, how do students see their best, how do they, how do medical students in second year and fourth year characterize their best teachers? And so we've got a study going over time to ask that question and then have those nominated take the TPI and see if there's a an, uh, an agreement between how the students perceive them and how they perceive themselves. So there's all sorts of ways in which we help others. Yes, that last example, sort of shades of the Jahari window. Uh, what do we know about each other and about ourselves? Uh, all right, well, let's get to the, yeah. the substance of, of why we're thinking about this today, and that is that maybe teaching perspectives of a group or an individual change over time. And I think one of the things that we want to speak to is it looks like things are changing over time and there has been a significant impact of the pandemic. Amanda, I wonder if you might sort of give us a little insight from someone who's looking at those numbers. What kind of things are you observing over time? Sure. So uh, when we think about changes over time, we can think about it in a couple different ways. Uh, One is to track an individual over time and look at how their profile remains consistent, whether there's a change in dominant or recessive or backup perspectives. And while there's data available on respondents who've taken the TPI multiple times, there isn't, that isn't something we haven't, have looked into too closely yet. Um, because the TPI is actually more of a cross-sectional database. So respondents take the TPI at a single point and people have been taking it since about 2001. Uh, so there's currently over 20 years of data. So the other way to think about change over time is whether the relative proportions of these, uh, dominant traits or dominant perspectives uh, change over the time period. So this is one approach that we've been taking for the Harvard Macy program for educators. So we tracked the proportions of dominant perspectives over six cohorts in their program from 2016 to 2021. And so what we saw was that the apprenticeship perspective was more dominant, was, was the most common dominant perspective across all the years, and social reform was the least common. Uh, and these higher rates of apprenticeship perspective could be explained by the likely high numbers of clinicians um, than the scientists attending the program, but it could also be in line with situated learning theory and focus on collaborative learning. In other words, working in teams. So another pattern that we had seen was an increase each year in the nurturing perspectives up to 2020 before COVID hit. Um, And although we don't know the real cause of this increase, it could reflect a movement to develop an educational alliance with learners based on the work of Summer uh, Telio. Um, And it also suggests there may be an increasing emphasis on social learning processes within the health professions education. Mm, So interesting, isn't it? And I would guess there's many influences on this. I'm sure the statistics are a fascinating source, but data is always just a great uh, prompt for discussion. And uh, Dan, I imagine you've got a few thoughts. So we're we're looking at trends up to the pandemic at this point. Is that right? And I think what I've heard, Dan, is that uh, you or your team conjecture that some of this is to do with the kind of learning environments we are immersed in, the influence of others thinking and 
maybe also the idea of where is our positioning and that maybe as a clinician we do tend to think a lot about role modelling as uh, one of our dominant perspectives as opposed to those who might be in a more classroom situation with their teaching and learning. So, uh, yeah, have you got things to add in terms of your thoughts on the why for this observation? Yes. Um, the, the question uh, that arose for us was, has gender changed over that period of time from 2016 to 2021? And we checked with uh, Todd Fowler, and he, he affirmed that the gender balance or proportions had not changed significant, significantly over those years. So we don't know why. Uh, we, we do know why there's a preponderance of apprenticeship, but we don't know why the rise in nurturing over time. And it was, it was significant and it's steady. It's steady from 2016 up to 2020, I think. So uh, Amanda mentioned Summer Telio's work on building an educational alliance, but there's other literature out about relationship networks in faculty development. Heather Buckley's work, for example. And I think we can only conjecture. But we think that relationships have become more important, not just between teacher and learner, but be between teams. And so relationship has become a hot topic. And that may be why we've seen a, a rise, a gradual but significant rise in nurturing across those six years. Yeah, very interesting. And music to my ears as one who works a lot on relationships and culture in teams. Uh, I think you're right. I think the conversations that happen in, in workplaces and in educational spaces uh, are a lot about those relationships. So that's very interesting. All right. Well, yes. let's Yes. Turn our attention then to the pandemic because it did seem, and I've had a little bit of a look at some of your graphs, and it looks like the pandemic uh, has created a significant shift. Amanda, do you want to tell us a little bit about the data since 2020? Yeah, so the 2020 cohort represents the first impact of COVID-19, and we saw some rather interesting patterns from the 2020 and 2021 cohorts. So first, we saw a drop in the proportion of respondents with a developmental perspective and a corresponding increase of the proportions of respondents with a transmission perspective uh, from 2019 right through to 2021. Uh, so this likely reflects the mandatory switch to online teaching, where many of the teachers really had more of a content focus. They focused on providing students with the content they needed to learn. And because faculty were adjusting to this new teaching environment, they may have had less time or opportunity to focus on their students' personal development and self-efficacy, and instead had to focus more on how they were going to teach the content. Um, and in the 2021 cohort, we saw a sharp decrease in the proportions of those with uh, nurturing and apprenticeship perspectives. So these drops could be attributed to the difficulties in the online environment regarding relationship building for those with nurturing perspectives and the lack of, lack of context for those with apprenticeship perspectives. And then one final interesting trend was the increase in developmental perspectives from 2020 to 2021 after the noticeable decrease from 2019 to 2020. Uh, this increase actually brought the proportion of developmental perspective right up back to about the same level from before the switch to online. 
So we think one reason for this could be the result of these teachers adapting to the new environment. And so they, uh, so that they were once again able to shift their focus to supporting their students' development. Overall, these trends appear to represent the impact of COVID-19 on teaching during this time and the resulting mandatory change to the online instructional format. So it's very interesting because although we have these perspectives, clearly the environment, the milieu in which we are teaching and the constraints on our teaching do shift our thinking, not just our behaviours. Have I got that right, Dan? Yes, yes. I want to add something to what Amanda said. She's covered that really well. I want to go back to uh, the drop in apprenticeship and nurturing. Apprenticeship, lack of context. (laughs) Context is a big teacher. And so apprenticeship people know that. And they, they bring context to life. Uh, there are many teachers in context, but nurturing, huh? Well, based on a, a, um, a limited number of interviews I've done asking what has changed in your teaching during COVID, a number of people said they have simply surrendered to the technology. That may be why we see the precipitous drop in apprenticeship and nurturing between 2020 and 2021. One engineering professor, this is stepping outside of health professions, said she used to guide her teaching based on nonverbal reactions from students in class. She would look for the puzzled faces, small nods, rolling eyes, and so forth. And after going online, she had to get used to teaching without that immediate nonverbal feedback. And so many teachers said that they simply surrendered to the technology. Now, that would explain the drop in nurturing and in apprenticeship. But the mystery for me is the rise in developmental perspective during COVID. And I think, um, Amanda, you you mentioned something about that. Uh, but I, another professor I talked to, he said he reduced his syllabus to allow space for the mo- most important learning topics and activities as well as unexpected twists and turns during his online teaching. So I think he and others may have taken on the developmental idea that less can be more if we reflect on what can we do in this time, in this medium. Yes, and as one who, uh, as you said, a self-confessed developmental dominant perspective I mean to me that sits so easily and I can so easily let go of covering a curriculum if I feel like the people in front of me need something different and whether the people in the emergency department are going to feel better because we want to focus on COVID-19 safe intubations uh, and I can let go of some of the other elements but I do think that's much harder if your perspective is that of covering uh, topics and I think what you've done for me Dan is given me a little bit more empathy for a little bit more patience with people who may have a transmission perspective and understanding that's not necessarily good 
or bad. It just means we will have more or less comfort with different formats and with different constraints. And uh, and maybe we will also shift a little bit over time given persistent influences from other perspectives. So I, I certainly have found this incredibly useful. I, I think we've seen over the past two years that te- technology is not going to go away <laughs> and it, that it lends itself to some perspectives more than others. Um, Over time, I think as the role of technology becomes more prominent, teachers will either have to learn to use technology within their own preference, preferences for teaching or surrender to it. And I think that is the challenge for faculty development right now. Absolutely. All right. Well, I know we're going to bring some of our conversation here to a close, unfortunately. But Dan, I think we do need to hear the story about your uh, own reflection on your teaching and how this helped or didn't. <laughs> this my evaluate the evaluation of my own teaching. Yep. Okay. Um, this was some years ago, and I was up for promotion. And uh, a fellow faculty member came in and watched me teach for three hours in the evening. I had 20 students from around the world, and it was a graduate course. And he met with me the next day over, over coffee. And he came over to my table. I was looking forward to this conversation. And he sat down, and the first words out of his mouth were, Dan, do you think your students are getting their money's worth? And then he stopped. And I was taken aback by that. But the lesson I learned from that is that his way of seeing teaching was not my way of seeing teaching. And as it turned out, That year, I won the Faculty of Education's University Prize for Teaching, and two years later, I won the 3M Teaching Award for all of Canada. (laughs) So I think each (laughs) each way of seeing is also a way of not seeing. And I can tell you, I have so many people say to me, after taking the TPI and my explaining it or their interpretation of it, that's who I am as a teacher with some kind of note of excitement and affirmation in their voice. So I think it's important to recognize that we have biases and that's what perspectives are. Mm. Um, an illustration of our perspective and our biases in what counts as good teaching. Mm, so interesting. And in typical Dan Pratt fashion, instead of just being really angry at that person, you saw it as a celebration of diverse perspectives. So uh, that's probably yeah. a lesson for us all in there. 
Well, uh, Amanda and Dan, this has just been a, a lovely conversation. And I think just to recap for our listeners, we've been talking about the teaching perspectives and also talking about the teaching perspectives inventory, a sort of quantitative way of looking at our dominant and backup perspectives. But we've also been talking about how these change over time, uh, perhaps as a result of technology, almost certainly as a result of the pandemic, and thinking about what that means for our teaching and learning. For those listening, I'll make sure I put a link to the Teaching Perspectives Inventory website up so that if you want to, you can go and do this yourself or if you're thinking about using it for your faculty development uh, and get it while it's free. Thank you so much to the people who are working on that. And thank you, Amanda, for all your work on this and Dan for a lifetime of commitment to uh, really sort of helping us understand about our teaching. Thank you both so much. Well, thank you. Thank you, Victoria. And thank you, Amanda. Thanks for having us. All right. This is Victoria Brazel signing off for the Harvard Macy Institute podcast. Mm-hmm.